Hi, good afternoon. Uh, before I start, I just want to announce that um, after the service, we actually have lunch downstairs. So please join us for lunch. Uh, it will be on the first level. This is the third level, so just two stories down. We have lunch provided for everybody. So a very warm welcome again, uh, especially to all the kindergarten parents. Uh, as Pastor has said, uh, my elder daughter Gemma, she's also in the kindergarten. She's in the N2 class. Uh, and just last Sunday, it was her birthday. She turned four. This is my family. Uh, as you can see, my husband's face is blocked by the decorations that he put up till midnight the night before. But you know, no one cares about daddy, right? Because it's, it's all about the birthday girl. And, and if you have daughters, you will immediately recognize the theme of this party. Frozen. Uh, the let it go has not cooled off. Uh, in my house at all. So we, we had a party uh, in my house, um, and it was just for relatives, but that was big enough, a crowd to leave my husband and I both completely exhausted uh, at the end of the night. Um, and those of you who have done kids' parties, you will understand that, you know, you have to think of all these, you have to think about food for the kids, food for the adults, and this and that, and you have the goodie bags, and, and the cake. The cake is always a big deal, right? Uh, as you can see, we had not one, but two cakes. Uh, my, my cousin baked this Elsa doll cake. Uh, so thankful for cousins who bake. Uh, you know, I have friends who spend like hundreds of dollars on, on a beautiful, elaborate cake because it's very important, the cake. So this was Gemma's fourth birthday, which means this is the fourth year that we've been doing this kid's birthday party thing. Uh, and, and now we have two, so we have to do it twice a year. Um, and, and, and I guess all the work and preparation was uh, worth it in the end because you know, my, my daughter, she saw the decorations and she was like, wow, and she had a great time like, screaming and laughing with, with her cousins. Um, I remember her first birthday as well. It was the same thing, decorations, lots of guests, food, presents, and this great cake as well. My mother made this like super marshmallow gummy. Everything in, is there inside the cake. Uh, it's just like a super tsing cake, you know. Uh, and, and, but you know what's the best part? The best part is that in the middle of the party, uh, this is what my daughter was doing. She was sleeping. Okay. Um, um, and you know, if you ask her about it now, like, hey, Gemma, remember the great cake that grandmama baked you for your first birthday? What cake? <laughs> or, or like, hey, remember all the people who came to the... What? Huh? Who came? <laughs> um, so which begs the question, why do we do it, right? Why do a birthday party when a one-year-old kid is not going to remember a thing? And I'm hoping she will remember this recent Frozen party, but I'm not 100% confident either. So, so why bother? Why bother with kids? Why bother with babies? Uh, you know, I remember going to buy the balloons for my daughter's first birthday and, and I was asking my husband like, hey, uh, should we get the white one with the happy birthday or the pink one that says princess? And, 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 and he's like, doesn't matter. Uh, like, okay, probably, she, you know, probably he said, um, oh, you decide, dear. And then like the fifth time, he's like, just buy anyone. She won't remember anything, uh, which I have to admit it is true. Uh, so why bother, right? Why bother with babies? Why bother so much with children? And I want to talk about a very short passage today. Uh, just three verses from Luke chapter 18, 15 to 17. 
And it says, people were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And so you see, the disciples of Jesus had the same question. Why are people bothering Jesus with their babies? Why is Jesus troubling himself with these babies? Are they going to remember him laying his hands on them, blessing them? No. Are they going to like listen to the gospel message and become converts and disciples of Christ? No, they can't even say their own name. And so the disciples rebuked the people. He scolded, they scolded them. They said, hey, stop bothering our Lord. You know, stop wasting his time. And the disciples were probably trying to protect Jesus. You know, they had good intentions. They wanted to help our Lord get rid of the bothersome babies and the kiasu parents because they are a nuisance, right? Babies were preventing Jesus from doing the real ministry. And the disciples probably thought that uh, the kids and babies had nothing to offer and nothing to give Jesus. And so they were unimportant. They wouldn't be even become like converts. You know, they wouldn't um, uh, increase Jesus' profile. He wouldn't gain a lot of followers or become a lot of pop, uh, much more popular because he, he blessed these kids. They probably won't even remember anything about Jesus. And so the disciples thought, they're just a bother. And I wonder if sometimes we think about kids that way. And to be honest, I confess, I, I, I sometimes think about my kids. I mean, I love my kids, but they're really quite a bother sometimes and quite annoying sometimes. And I wonder if sometimes we think about kids in church that way. You know, just get them out of the way so that the real ministry can take place and the real work of the church can take place. And I wonder if sometimes we think about ministry or serving God in that way. You know, when we think about how much tangible results or fruit will, we, will our work yield, and, and if that's the case, then, then why waste time on things like children? But you know, Jesus didn't think that way. He said, no, let them come. Don't get between them and me. Do not hinder them. And today I want to look at the two things that Jesus said in, in this short passage, two instructions that he gave. And the first is this. It's very clear. Let the children come to me and do not hinder them. The disciples were telling the children, go away. But Jesus was saying, come. And it was absolutely clear that Jesus valued these children, he didn't just dismiss them. He didn't even just tolerate them. Like, okay, okay, yeah, fine, I'll give them some blessing. Right? He didn't think like, hmm, how many converts can I get out of these little ones or, or whatever. He just said, come. Let the children come to me and do not hinder them. The disciples hindered the children and Jesus was not happy about it. And so the instruction is clear. Disciples of Jesus must remove all hindrances that keep children from coming to Jesus. And instead of hindering them, we must facilitate and help and ensure that the children can come to Jesus. It is our duty as disciples of Jesus to do so. And you know, that's really what we seek to do in, in Sunday school, in a cool club, when we do Kids Connect and all these other children's programs at CSC, our Community Services Centre and as well as in our kindergarten. Let the little children come to Jesus and do not hinder them. And today I want to suggest three things that we 
both as parents of young children, but also as a church, as disciples of Jesus. Three ways we can help remove hindrances that keep Jesus from coming to that keep the children from coming to Jesus and bring the children to the Lord. And the first is this. We must serve children. You know, in my first year of teaching, I used to be a teacher. I was a form teacher of a secondary one class. And one day I found myself having to uh, mediate between a few, few of my students because there was a dispute about uh, water bottles. Like, oh, oh, well, he threw your water bottle there. Oh, why, why do you do that? Oh, because he hide your water. Oh, okay. And, and, you know, I spent so long trying to resolve this water bottle feud. Um, and, and, and then when I went back to my staff room, you know, in my youthful arrogance and attitude, I was like, ah, study so hard overseas. Come back and deal with water bottles. But of course, you know, over the years, I learned that the teaching is not only about imparting knowledge and content, It is very often about water bottles. (laughs) It is very often about, you know, cleaning up messes, trying hard not to laugh when they say something stupid because it's bad. Don't do that. (laughs) And you know, when you you settle a water bottle dispute, your your London degree or your master's or whatever, it's pretty irrelevant because all you need is really pure patience and, and what we call in teaching, seizing teachable moments. And it's often in these banal moments, these mundane, everyday affairs, that we actually teach children real things like kindness and respect and how to get along. And it's it's a lot more effective when we teach them in those moments than if we sat them down and gave them a lecture about it. And so a lot of teaching and and working with children is is very often um, about unglam moments. You know, it's not a very glamorous job at all. And, and if I felt it at secondary school level, I can only imagine what primary school teachers feel and what kindergarten teachers feel. You know, when my daughter first uh, started nursery, she was in the midst of being toilet trained. And so every day we have to pack an extra set of clothes in, in her school bag in case there's an accident. Uh, and then some days she would come back with, you know, the plastic bag and, and the wet clothes inside. And then I, mean, I know that, okay... There was an accident, and, and my first thought was like, oh no, I'm so sorry to the teachers who had to clean up her mess. Like, I wonder who she peed on, and who cleaned up her pee, and, and I hope she didn't pee on the teacher's shoes or anything. Um, and you know, I, I, I believe that people who work with kids and people who serve the kids are, are the real heroes. They're the real superheroes. You know, I'm a parent, and, and so I know full well that kids can be dirty and messy and noisy and rude and uncontrollable and gross and annoying and all that. And yet, despite all that, there are many faithful people serving in children's ministry, in our, in our cool club, cool thoughts, the crash, uh, in our kindergarten, in, in the CSC kids programs. And these are not glamorous platform ministries, but these people serve the little ones day after day, week after week. And if you're one of these I salute you and we honour you today. You are doing extremely important work in bringing the little ones to Jesus. You know, we read in the Gospels in in Matthew, Mark, as well as Luke, that at one point the disciples were arguing among themselves over who is the greatest. And in response to that, Jesus in his typically paradoxical manner with a value system completely different to that of the world, he says that the path to greatness is, 
is to be the least. He said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last. He must be the servant of all. Mark chapter 9. You know, as followers of Christ, we need to understand that the measure of true greatness in the kingdom of God is not the one who has earned the most money or attained the most accomplishments or awards. And, and even in church, it's not like the pastors who have preached the greatest sermons or organized some great events. The measure of true greatness is how much heartfelt service and how much heartfelt desire we have to serve others, to serve all. And true greatness is not about positioning yourself so that everybody praises you. But true greatness is putting yourself in a position to serve, to serve everyone, to be a blessing to as many as you possibly can, to be servant of all. And you know, this all includes the children. It includes the seemingly unimportant ones. And if this wasn't clear enough, after saying this, Jesus takes a child he takes a little child, he takes him in his arms, he puts his arm around the kid, he embraces the kid and he says, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name, welcomes me. And so Jesus was telling his disciples, you know, you argue about who is the greatest among you. You think you're so important, you must also minister to those who are seemingly unimportant, the least among us. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, then we must first be servants of the least. People who think, you know, people who think they are important or, or people who want to appear important, um, they will always try to spend a lot of time or seek to spend a lot of time with uh, important people, right? Because if you're always hanging out with like celebrities or CEOs or millionaires or whatever, then it says something about your, your status, right? And so people like to name drop, right? You know, like, oh yeah, I know Sien Lung. <laughs> like, oh sorry, I'm in PM Lee. You know, oh yeah, I play golf. With him. You know, people like to, to, to do that kind of name dropping, Right? But Jesus says the path to greatness is when we give our time to the least, to the unimportant, to people like children, people from whom we don't really get much in return. And when you serve children, they don't really give you much in return. It's not just about, you know, the unglam things like cleaning up their messes or becoming involved and interested in their petty little problems or helping them with very, very small things. You know, little children also very seldom like stand up and give great speeches about how much you've helped them or, or, or how you have served them. And they are often not even really aware of it, much less thankful for it, when you faithfully, day after day, week after week, pour your life out for them. And I think that's why Jesus used a child as an example, as the best example, when he wanted to teach his disciples about serving in the kingdom of God. Because it's really not about seeking recognition or praise from men. We shouldn't try to gain credit when we serve men, but instead try to gain Christ. We start to gain Christ when we serve people like children. Whoever welcomes one of these little children in Jesus' name welcomes Jesus himself. You know, I believe that as a church, we must see the importance of taking care and serving children. We cannot see children's ministry as nothing more than just a little babysitting service while we attend the real service here. You know, if we take the words of Jesus seriously, we will not think that children's ministry is just child's play and nothing more. 
We have to prioritize and make time for children, both in our families as well as in the church. We cannot despise or think little about children and children's ministry. We must fully support children's work, children's ministry, and that involves the kindergarten. It involves our cool club and, and all the children's work over at CSC. You know, last week it was the kindergarten concert, and it was so good to see um, our church members serving food, um, being ushers, being car park attendants, and, and, and helping out in various other ways. And I know that there are many who faithfully and quietly serve in Cool Club, in CSC, and as a church, we must continue doing this, supporting the children, and serve them. So we must serve the children. And the other thing that we must do is we must teach the children. The Bible speaks very clearly about this, about teaching children to follow Jesus. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. As well as Deuteronomy 6, God commands the Israelites, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments I give to you today, they are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. What the Bible is saying here is that the love of God, the ways of God, His commandments, His truths have to be lived out and applied and evident in our daily lives. We must be constantly teaching children about loving God and obeying God. It cannot be a once a week thing. We cannot just leave it to the Sunday school teachers. Hopefully they learn something there. Parents, it has to be a part of our daily lives. We have to impress God's ways and His Word on our children so that it penetrates their hearts and the core of their being. We have to keep talking to them about Jesus diligently and repeatedly teach them about the Lord. You know, I used to work as a teacher and, and in pedagogy, the, the theory of teaching and education. One of the best teaching methods is what we call modeling. Role modeling. Because kids learn best when they see you do it first. And so our children will learn how to follow the Lord. They will learn how to love Him, honor Him, worship Him, serve in church, reach out to people when they see us do it, when they see it in our lives. And I believe that's what Deuteronomy 6 is talking about. God says, write these commandments in your heart that I've given you today, get them inside of you, and then live them out daily so that they get inside your children as well. You know, parents, I don't know about you when I hear all this. I, I'm a bit stressed because <laughs> it's a high calling, right? It's difficult. It's tough. I mean, some days I feel like if I can get through the day without yelling at my kids, I've done good. You know, much less talk about teaching them God, com God's commandments and all. But it has to be done. It has to be done. And even for those of us who are not biological parents, I believe as a church, we need to be spiritual parents as well. In whatever way, whether we are directly involved in children's ministry or not, the children look up to us as the adults, as spiritual role models in the church. And there are many older people in church, older than me, right, whom I have known and watched since I was a child. I have seen the way you live godly lives. I have seen the way you pursue Christ, the way you serve Him, and you have been role models to me, even though you are not my biological parents. You know, as an example, Elder Vincent, 
He was the youth superintendent when I was a youth long ago. And, and now his two kids are in the youth ministry with me. And Daryl, his son, um, helps out in the cool thoughts class where my two children are. It's like we have to keep on passing the baton of faith so that generation after generation, we proclaim His praise and we live for His glory. You know, the Psalms talk about this several times. Psalm 31, Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Psalm 78, Verse 4, we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. Verse 5, He commanded our ancestors to teach their children so that the next generation would know them. Even the children yet to be born, and they in turn will tell their children. As a church, we must teach our children, train them up in the way of the Lord, pass on the baton of faith to the next generation. You know, I understand that, that next year, um, the children from the cool club, our Sunday school, will be joining in uh, the first service uh, more often. And I think that's a great thing. Worship should be a family affair. And you know, when children are involved in church in general, whether in our worship service or whatever, it will be noisier, it will be messier, but they will learn so much. They will learn even from just the worship songs we sing. You know, I grew up in church I've been here all my life. And, and a lot of my early theology came from the songs that I heard during worship services because I definitely did not understand like 90% of Galatians or Hebrews or Romans or whatever when I read the Bible. But I remember things like, what a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. You know, I remember things like, trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And you know, after we sing for like, 50 times, you know, um, songs like, Were the whole realm of nature mine that were an offering far too small. After about 50 times, I, I kind of understood it. And that's where a lot of my early theology came from, from the songs that God is great, that His love is amazing. And I remember the entire congregation singing hymns like, Majesty, worship His majesty. And as a little kid, I was awed by that. And I was, I was actually convinced, yes, God is majestic. And God is pretty awesome. Children will learn as they see us week after week. Worship as one body. When we as adults, we pray, we take the communion, we offer our tithes, they will learn. There's a quote that goes, um, teach me and I'll forget. Show me and I'll remember. Involve me and I will learn. And you know, the more the children are involved as part of the church community, the more they will learn. It may not seem like that at that point when they are screaming, but they will learn. So let's welcome them to our worship service. Let's take them along capping if it's possible. Let's bring them to church camp. Let's get them involved in, in, in church events. Church, we must train up our children in the way of the Lord. We must be role models for our children. We must involve them in church. We must include them. And so we must serve our children, we must teach our children, and finally, I believe this with all my heart, that we must also believe in children. We must believe in them. You know, sometimes when you work with kids, um, 
it's very difficult to see in that moment when they are um, creating a huge mess or they are throwing this epic tantrum. It is very difficult to uh, imagine the good, kind, brave, capable and strong adult they will grow up to be. And it, it is also difficult to remember the good, kind, brave and smart children that they actually are and can be. But we must believe in them. You know, there are many instances in the Bible where uh, uh, it talks about God speaking to children, working in children, using them for His glory. Um, King Joash and Josiah, they were kings when they were seven years old and eight years old. That's like primary one and primary two. And the Bible tells us that when they ascended the throne, both of these boy kings did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. In fact, Josiah, Josiah is like the poster boy, you know, for a young godly king. Second Chronicles says that while he was still young, he began to seek the Lord, the God of his father, David. And, you know, he initiated, Josiah initiated all these reforms in the land, turned the people away from idol worship, um, uh, turned your hearts towards God. And the Bible says there's no king before or after Josiah who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart and soul and strength. Young ones used greatly by the Lord. I'm sure we've all heard of King David, arguably the greatest king of Israel, who was anointed by the prophet Samuel when he was a shepherd boy. His own father didn't think that he would be considered, but God anointed him as king. And then, of course, he killed Goliath, the giant. You know, in the Bible, we read that when Goliath saw David uh, and he saw that he was only a boy, he despised him. But we all know that David came before him in the name of the Lord and he won. So God can use even little children. And so we must believe in them. We must believe that the things done and taught when someone is a little child, even a baby, it counts towards something. You know, nowadays parents, they, they, uh, we, we, we always want kids to get a head start in life, right? So we send them for like ballet and dance and music. And, 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 and you know, these classes start... Um, as early as when kids are a few months old. Hashtag Kiasu. Because it's, it's all about laying the foundation, isn't it? Getting a head start, right? And, and I believe that that's the principle behind Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Train him while he is still a little child so that when he is old, he will not depart from it. Lay the foundation in childhood. And so wherever we can, let's not just think about giving our kids uh, you know, a head start like academically or, 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 or in terms of skills or whatever. Let's give our children a spiritual head start as well. I want to look for a while at um, the great prophet Samuel. You know, Samuel was a miracle baby, right? His mom, Hannah, was barren for many years. And then she prayed and she told God, if you will give me a son, I will dedicate him as a servant to the Lord all the days of his life. And so indeed, God gave her Samuel. And after he was weaned, and so in those times, would, he would be about three years old, she brought him to the temple and she told Eli the priest, now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he's dedicated to the Lord. And so Samuel lived in the temple. He stayed there with Eli and, and, and he served. So can and should our young children serve the Lord? Definitely. Samuel served in the house of the Lord. And we read in 1 Samuel chapter 2, um, verse 18, Samuel was ministering before the Lord. He was a boy wearing the linen ephod of the, of the priest. 
The boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. The boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with the man. So here's a little child serving and growing in the Lord. And then we come to 1 Samuel chapter 3. Some of you will know this story. Um, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. So he was serving in the temple. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. In those times, Israel was characterized by great sin, and so um, revelations from the Lord was rare, and yet God spoke to Samuel. Verse 2, one night Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, he was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was, because he stayed in the temple. And then the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel answered, Here I am. And most of us know this story. Um, Samuel thought it was Eli calling him. So he ran to Eli. He said, here I am. Eli said, no, no, it's not me. I didn't call you. And this went on like three times until Eli was like, oh, it's God calling you. And, and so he told the boy what to do. So you see, Samuel was just a little boy. He didn't really understand what was going on, right? He thought it was Eli instead of God. And if you read the rest of the story, you will know that Eli wasn't um, the greatest priest. You know, he, his sons did horrible things. Uh, he couldn't control them. And so I'm not sure if Eli was the best uh, role model or, or mentor. And yet, and yet Samuel, as a boy dedicated to the Lord from birth, as a boy who had been serving in the house of the Lord since he was three or four years old, because the foundation was laid in his childhood. In fact, even before he was formed in his mother's womb, his mother had dedicated him. And so I believe because of this spiritual foundation, Samuel was spiritually sensitive enough to hear the voice of the Lord, to hear the Lord's calling, and he had that obedient spirit to respond, here I am, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And of course, we know he went on to become a great prophet of the Lord, faithful and holy. In the New Testament, we have Timothy, and we know that Timothy was raised by a godly mother and grandmother. Paul writes in 2 Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Louis, and in your mother, Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. Louis and Eunice, women specifically named and commended and honored in the Bible because they passed on the faith to young Timothy. And you know, they obviously left such a great legacy that his good faith was evident to the people around, like Paul. And then again, Paul writes to Timothy, um, as for you continuing what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know these from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. You know, a Jewish boy would formally begin study of the scriptures when he was about five years old. And so this suggests that even before that, even before he was five years old, Lewis and Eunice were teaching him the scriptures at home, laying the foundation during childhood. You know, I'm the youth pastor, and, 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 and yet I recognize that sometimes youth ministry uh, gets a lot of credit. Um, very often in baptism, uh, we hear a teenager's testimonies, and, and very often they will say, oh, I went for this youth camp and it changed my life. You know, I've been attending church all my life, but at this camp, and you know, of course, our youth camps are great. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Please sign up 15 to 18 December. <laughs> um, but you know, I believe that especially for our second generation Christians, there's been a whole lot of foundation 
that has been laid year after year in church, week after week in Sunday school, day after day, watching and living with godly parents. And yes, youth camp, youth ministry is great. Hallelujah. Amen. But, but for many second-generation Christians, I believe we are often just building upon foundation that has already been laid by parents, by church, by children's ministry. So let's not underestimate the foundation laid in childhood. You know, as a church, as parents, we must believe that God speaks to children, just like with Samuel, that He works in children, just like King Josiah and, and, and Joash, that He can use children, just like David. You know, very often in children's work, we don't see fruit immediately. Sometimes we've taught them for one year or many years and they're still so naughty or whatever, but it's worth it. It's still worth it. You know, at the start, I talked about um, organizing these elaborate kids' parties and, and, and yeah, even though they won't remember it, uh, we still do it. And even though I, I know that they won't really remember it, I like to think that while they won't remember the specific cake or the decorations and all, I believe that over the years, they will remember that they were loved by their parents. I believe it. <laughs> it's worth it. And so church, let us continue to fully support and believe in children's ministry because it's worth it. And I want to encourage those directly serving in children's ministry to press on. You know, press on even if youth ministry gets the credit. Press on even when it's, it's difficult. Press on even when the children just half the time look blur and they seem to have no idea what's going on. Let's press on because it's worth it. We must believe in our children. We must believe that God speaks to them in His own way, that He is working in their lives somehow and He's using them both at this point of their childhood and He will use them in the future as well. So let's serve the children, teach the children and believe in the children. You know, I fully, fully, 100% believe in the importance of children's ministry, primarily because I am a product of children's ministry. I have been in this church my entire life. I was born in September 1982, so you know my age, um, which is exactly when the church moved from, uh, uh, into this building from Newbridge Road, and which is why, because I was just born, my parents and I don't appear in this picture. We missed out, man. You know, I, I accepted Christ um, just before I was four years old in, in August 1986. And I remember that only because I wrote the date down in my little Bible. But um, to be honest, I, I don't remember a lot, a lot more. My mother tells me that it was in Sunday school with Auntie Mei Fong. Um, but I must confess that I don't exactly remember everything. But I remember, I remember knowing and believing and thinking about how I have sinned, I have done wrong things, but Jesus died on a cross for me, and then he rose again and he took away all my sins, and now he's always with me, and I can have eternal life with him in heaven. Very simple, raw faith that I had at four years old, um, and also because I've heard it so many times, right, since birth. And so a very simple faith, and yet, that is the message of the gospel, right? It's simple, and it's clear. And I learned in Sunday school, you know, Jesus is always there for me. He protects me. He loves me. With Christ in the vessel, we can smile at the storm. 
Um, I learned that Jesus loves me, this I know, for, for the Bible tells me so. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. Thank you. There's nothing my God cannot do. You know, I, 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 believed, I believed all that. I believed all that. And, and I remember praying and asking God to help me, like, in my exams when I was growing up, and this and that. And, and I believed that he, he will help me. And I remember when my mom was pregnant, she asked me if I wanted a brother or a sister. And I said, brother. And she said, okay, you ask God. And, 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 and I did. I prayed for a brother. And some of you will know my brother, Joash. He's indeed a boy. And, and I was like, whoa, God answered my prayer. And as a five-year-old, that blew my mind. I prayed for a brother and I got a brother. And then, you know, we, we grow up and, and things get more complicated. Uh, like life gets more complicated. We begin to doubt more and, and, and faith is like no longer so simple. It's like, oh, you pray for a brother? Yeah, 50-50 chance, what? No big deal, <laughs> you know? And we start to doubt and we start to question and we start to lose the plot. But you know, Jesus said, He said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Unless we accept God's kingdom in, in, in the simplicity and humility of a child, you'll never get in. And so this is the second thing that Jesus said. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And so how do we become like a little child? What is it about little children that we must emulate? And some people say, oh, it's because um, little children are so pure and innocent and angelic and nice. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> But uh, I don't know about other kids. My kids are definitely not um, pure and innocent and angelic all the time. There are many times where they are quite the opposite. And so I think what Jesus was talking about is actually this. Do you know that the human baby is possibly the most helpless of all species? You know, puppies can crawl quite soon after they are born. Uh, calves, like, like baby cows, um, are up, in the, up on their feet in, in minutes looking for breakfast after they leave their mother's womb. But human babies, they don't walk until they are maybe one. They can't even sit up until they are a few months old. And you know, if you left them there in the wild, they would definitely not survive. Unlike some animals who will be able to you know, fend for themselves, go find food and all that. I've read that when a baby enters this world, it has only one power, the power to elicit the emotion of tenderness and care from adults and humans, specifically and especially the mothers. And that's why all babies do is cry, because <laughs> that's all they know how to do. Instinctively, they know that they are helpless, and so they cry so much because they need to signal, hello, I need help. They need to signal that they are in distress. And I think Jesus' point here is that we have to be like little children. We have to be completely dependent on God. On God the Father for everything that we need. We have to acknowledge and recognize that we need Him and we are helpless without Him. A baby is completely dependent on adults, their parents. 
be the parents, we have to give them food, clothing, shelter, protection. If not, they will starve or they will fall or they will choke or they will freeze. They will die. A little child knows nothing of self-reliance. And I'm sure many mothers here will know. You know, sometimes the babies really cling to you. They just want to be permanently stuck to you all the time, even when you just want to go to the toilet or even when you just want to eat one meal in peace. The babies cling to you. And that's what a baby does. They cling. You know, my daughters are, are still very young. They are two and four. Um, but now they can do some things on their own. Uh, but the baby years are still fresh in my mind. This is them on the day they were born. Very cute, but useless. Right? I mean, I mean helpless. Um, <laughs> completely dependent. Right? Completely dependent. When they poop or pee, they just cry. And then someone changes their diaper. You know, when, when they are hungry, they just cry. And then someone feeds them. Um, and whenever and wherever they feel like it, they just sleep. They just nap anywhere. You know, whether it's their own birthday party, like my daughter, or even if sometimes, you know, you specially bring them to a zoo, or like, you know, you, you, the only reason why you're going to that place is because it's for the kids. They sit there in the stroller, and they sleep. And we just adjust our entire day's schedule around them, because they are kids. You know, my husband uh, likes to say, oh, how great is this to be a baby? You just sleep and poop, do whatever you want, whenever you want, wherever you want. And you know somebody's going to take care of it and take care of you. And I believe that this is the picture for us of the childlike trust we should have in God our Father. That whatever happens, wherever we are, whatever we do, God the Father will always take care of us. And so we have to be humble to acknowledge our own helplessness before God and accept the status of a child in a stroller. But the result is fantastic because it means that all of God's protection and provision and, 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 and guidance and love covers us and we can be free from anxiety. Kids are free from anxiety, right? They don't worry. They don't worry about their next meal, where it's coming from. They don't worry about it. What's the temperature? Do I need to put on a jacket? They are free from anxiety. And I believe that that is the attitude that Jesus is talking about when he says, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. It's the attitude of being a helpless child, looking to our father, our perfect father, not an independent person, doing our own thing, managing everything on our own in our own way, but completely dependent on God, clinging to him, drawing everything we need from him, because apart from him, we can do nothing. And apart from him, we have no good thing. And that's what being born again means. When we are born again, it means we start life again, utterly dependent on the Father. When we receive Christ and when we become a Christian, we first recognize our need for God. We need to turn away from ourselves and turn towards God. And that's what repentance is. And it's hard sometimes. It's hard because we have so much pride in us, especially when we are adults. We can feed and clothe ourselves. Not just that, we can take care of ourselves. We can even forge a career for ourselves. We can achieve successes on our own. And so very often we forget that all have sinned and fall short 
of the glory of God. That no matter what we do, or no matter what we think we can do, no matter how good we think we are, we still fall short of God's standards of holiness and perfection because of our sin. Our sin separates us from God and creates an emptiness in us that only God can heal, can fill. A brokenness inside of us that only God can heal. And you know, we may on our own, we may achieve riches and status and success. We may attain um, a lot of knowledge. We may have great relationships, popularity. We may even do a lot of good deeds and charitable works in church. And yet on our own, we will never reach God. It is only because Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. It is only because Jesus rose from the dead, conquering all death and sin and brokenness that we can find redemption, forgiveness, and life. And so to get into the kingdom of God, we must be childlike. We must receive Jesus and trust Him to come into our lives and be the Lord of our lives and make us what we were created to be. We must look to Him and live a Christ-directed, Christ-centered life where Christ is on the throne, where our entire life, our desires, our interests, our concerns are completely dependent on and directed by Jesus because He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so my message today is, is, is really that we should, we should like children, we should serve them, we should teach them, believe in them, love them. And we should also be like children. And I think the connection is this, that if you are receiving the kingdom yourself, like a little child in the presence of the Father, that if you relate to God as a dependent little child, then you will also not do anything to hinder little children from coming to Jesus. But if you are not childlike towards God, then in the same way, children will probably be beneath you and not worth your time. And one of the greatest hindrances to children's ministry is pride. Thinking that children, children's work is unimportant. It's not the real ministry. It's beneath us. Just as one of the great gifts for children's ministry is humility. And in the same way, one of the greatest hindrances to receiving Jesus, as well as to growing in our relationship with Jesus, is pride thinking that we are actually, we're fine on our own, we're, we're pretty good on our own, we're managing, and we forget that we are actually helpless, that we need God in every way, that we need Him more each day, and that we need to cling to Him. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, But to all who received Him, He gave the right to become children of God. All they needed to do was to trust Him to save them. I'd like us now to uh, just close our eyes and bow our heads. And if, we, if we could all just take some time to respond to God. You know, if you have never received Jesus into your life before, I want to tell you today that Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for you and and He rose again to give you not just eternal life, but abundant life on earth. A life that is completely dependent on Him. And a completely dependent life is great because we are free from anxiety. We have true freedom. 
because we know that He is the Lord of the heavens and earth, the Creator of the universe, that He holds us just like He holds the whole world in His hands. And He loves you with a love so amazing and so divine. And if you want to receive Jesus with that childlike faith, all you need to do is, is make a personal decision in your heart to acknowledge Him as our Lord and commit to following Him. And you can do that right now just by praying a very simple prayer in faith. And praying is, is really just talking to God. You know, God knows our heart. And so it's not about the specific words we say. It's really just the attitude of our heart. And so if that's you, if you want to receive Jesus today, would you just say these words and, and pray with me? You can pray in your heart. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you that you make me whole and you give me eternal life. I believe in you and I decide now to follow you and receive you as my Savior and my Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. And if we could just keep our eyes closed for one more minute with no one looking around. If that's you and if you've prayed that prayer, would you just raise your hand and give me a little wave so that I can, I can see and, and maybe we can talk a little bit more after service. We can pray with you. And for the rest of us, would you just take a moment to come before our good, good father like a little child, like a child completely dependent on him, remembering that without him we can do nothing, that apart from him we have no good thing, that we may achieve worldly status and successes, but it's nothing if we don't have Jesus. So let's come before our father that childlike faith, childlike dependence, and look to our good Father. we thank you that you are our heavenly father and God would you help us to cling to you would you help us to take our eyes off ourselves and fix our eyes on you as the author and perfecter of our faith that God without you we can do nothing that God without you we, we have no good thing and so God give us this constant childlike faith this childlike attitude where we are completely and utterly dependent on you. We thank you, God. We praise you and we trust in you, our good Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. The service is over.